Last week, we started our Christmas series looking at the three gifts that the wise men brought to Jesus when he was still a kid. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Last week, we looked at gold. Uh, Zach talked about gold for us. That uh, points at the deity and royalty of Christ and helps us understand him as the king that he is. Uh, and that's important because by the very nature of who Jesus is, he deserves to be the object of our affection and the recipient of our worship. And if you were here, you'll remember Zach talked about our need to live our lives in light of that fact. He talked about how we should sacrificially be following the king so that we have something of value to offer him in worship when our physical life uh, ends. And this week we're talking about frankincense. Our, our verse is Matthew 2, 11. Uh, remember that. Let's read, uh, let's read that again. And when they were coming to the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. So before we dig in, we need to understand what frankincense is. Does anybody here have frankincense lying around their house? You do not. <laughs> you have frankincense lying around your house? Frankincense is a specific type of oil. So we'll talk about what frankincense is. It's not just any essential oil. You can't have peppermint oil and I got frankincense. No, that's not how this works. You can't just put a piece of tape on anything and write frankincense and, and it becomes frankincense. Um, but... We all kind of have an understanding of what frankincense is, because if you look at the word frankincense, it includes the word incense, and that's something that is a little bit more familiar. Does anyone keep incense around their house? Do you really? Weirdo. <laughs> I don't like incense, because I think it stinks. I was talking to Oakley and Ashley about this beforehand. I just think it smells weird. Um, but some people like it. Incense is just a bunch of spices that are wound together on a stick so that when you burn them, that gives off an odor that's supposed to be pleasant. Well, when I hear the word frankincense, I can't help but think of Frankenstein. So frankincense is just the monster movie version of incense, right? That's, that's not exactly uh, the truth. But, but try not to think about that every time you hear the word frankincense from now on. Um, so you're welcome. But frankincense is an oil that's made from the sap of specific trees in the Middle East. Um, and it has the same purpose as incense. It's used as a perfume that's supposed to smell pleasant. I don't know if it does. I can't tell you if I've ever smelled frankincense. Um, hmm? She can tell me of peppermint oil with frankincense written on it. <laughs> but it's supposed to smell pleasant. So frankincense would have been a nice thing to have around if your toddler was still in diapers, which Jesus would have been that age at this point. And so that would have been the case when this gift was given to Jesus and his family. It would have probably helped mask some of the more natural odors, if you know what I mean. <laughs> but as we study frankincense and incense tonight, we're going to find that this gift clues us into a very important role that Jesus plays in our lives. And this gift is also going to help us better understand the roles that we should be playing in our sacrificial service to the Lord. But before we can understand those roles, we need to understand Point number one, the purpose of frankincense. And like I said, frankincense and incense are two different things, but their purpose is the same. They're both used as a perfume to make things smell pleasant, and they're both used throughout the Old Testament. 
So if you thought incense was just for hippies to help hide the fact that they've been smoking weed, think again. God actually wanted his people to make perfume for the stuff that went on in the tabernacle. We can see that in Exodus 30. Uh, Exodus 30, verses 34 through 37. It says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Take unto these sweet spices, stocked in Onicha and Galbanum, these sweet spices with pure frankincense, of each shall, be, shall there be a like weight. And thou shalt make it a perfume, a confection, after the art of, apoth- of the apothecary, tempered together, pure and holy. And thou shalt beat some of it very small, and put it out before the testimony in the tabernacle of the congregation, where I will meet with thee. It shall be unto you most holy. And as for the perfume which thou shalt make, ye shall not make it, or not, not make to yourselves according to the composition thereof. It shall be unto thee holy for the Lord. So God gave them this special recipe for a perfume that they were to use for the tabernacle. They weren't supposed to use it for themselves because this was supposed to be a special perfume that was used in their sacrifices and, and stuff like that. God likes things that smell good. That might seem weird, but that's just how it is. In addition to this perfume, the tabernacle was also supposed to have an altar of incense. We can see that a few verses earlier in Exodus 30. Uh, verse 22 says, Moreover, the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Thou shalt also, or take thou also unto thee principal spices of pure myrrh, 500 shekels, and of sweet cinnamon, half so much, even 250 shekels, and of sweet calamus, 250 shekels, and of cassia, 500 shekels after the shekel of the sanctuary, and of an olive oil and hin. And thou shalt make it an oil of unholy ointment, an ointment compound after the art of the apothecary, it shall be an holy anointing oil. And thou shalt anoint the tabernacle of the congregation therewith, and the ark of the testimony, and the table, and all his vessels, and the candlestick, and his vessels, and the altar of incense, and the altar of burnt offerings with all his vessels, and the laver in his foot. So the altar of incense, frankincense, they were both involved in the creation of the tabernacle. And like this perfume, the altar of incense was used in various ways during the various types of sacrifices that would go on in the tabernacle. We can see those types of sacrifices in Leviticus 2, verses 1 through 3. It says, And when any will offer a meat offering unto the Lord, his offering shall be of fine flour, and he shall pour oil upon it and put frankincense thereon. And he shall bring it to Aaron's sons, the priest, and shall take thereout his handful of the flour thereon and of the oil thereon with all the frankincense thereof. And the priest shall burn the memorial of it upon the altar to be an offering made by fire of a sweet savor unto the Lord. And the remnant of the meat offering shall be Aaron and his sons. It is a thing most holy of the offerings of the Lord made by fire. And, and so if you think about it, using perfumes like this would, would make sense. They were butchering and sacrificing dead animals to the Lord in the tabernacle, and dead animals stink. So if you have some strong-smelling perfume involved, you can kind of mask that nasty odor. But the use of frankincense and incense wasn't just for the sake of the priests and their noses. This sweet savor from the burning of those sacrifices was for the Lord. Uh, It was for a sweet savor for the Lord. And like I said, God likes things that smell good. I can't explain to you why God likes the smell of frankincense, but I can explain to you the picture that that paints for us. If you look at Revelation 8, verses 3 through 4, on the other end of the Bible, it says, And another angel came and stood at the altar, having a golden censer, And there was given unto him much incense, that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense, which came with the prayers of the saints, ascended up before God out of the angel's hands. 
So the sweet smell of incense rising up to the Lord pictures our prayers making their way up to heaven to the Lord. And that should clue you in onto how much God enjoys it when we talk to him, when we pray to him. You know that smell in the middle of summer when your neighbor's barbecuing, how you just walk outside and you're like, dude, this smells awesome. Well, that's the enjoyment you get out of, the enjoyment you get out of that smell is similar to the enjoyment God gets when you pray to him. It's a sweet savor. It smells good. So incense was used during times of prayer. We can also see that in Luke 1.10, which says, And the whole multitude of the people were praying without at the time of incense. And you can see this picture throughout Scripture, especially in the Old Testament religious practices, like we looked at some of those. Um, but don't forget whose duty it was to pray in the Old Testament. Sure, everybody's asked to pray to the Lord, but it was specifically the priest's duty to pray for the people. Second Chronicles 30, verse 27 says, Then the priests, the Levites, arose and blessed the people, and their voice was heard, and their prayer came up to his holy dwelling place, even unto heaven. So the same guys that God instructed to make those perfumes and to use the altar of incense during the animal sacrifices were tasked with praying on behalf of the people. This was understood as their responsibility because the priests played a, the role of the mediators between God and men. But we don't have priests anymore. Sure, some religions do, but the New Testament makes it clear that we only have one priest, and he's not a human being that's living on the earth today. We know that our one priest is Jesus Christ, and the gift of frankincense points us to this role that he plays in our lives. And so that's point number two. The king is also the high priest. And this role is pictured throughout the Bible. Um, so we'll, we'll look at two specific pictures of, of kings in the Bible who are also priests. And the first one is this guy named Joshua, the son of Josedek. And we see this guy in, in Zechariah 6, verse 11. It says, Then take silver and gold and make crowns and set them upon the head of Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest. And that might not seem like a necessarily clear picture. Sure, you've got this guy named Joshua, who's, who's the high priest, or at least in line to be the high priest, and people are making crowns and setting them on his head to make them king. But what does that have to do with Jesus? Well, the name Jesus actually means Jehovah saves. We can see that in, uh, in Matthew 1, verse 21. It says, and, thou shalt bring forth a, er, and she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And so he, he's explaining what the name Jesus means. And so you're going to call him Jesus because he's going to save people from their sins. So the name of Jesus is important because it, by its very meaning, it indicates what Jesus came to the earth to do. Well, the Hebrew name Joshua actually means the same thing. It means Jehovah saves. So when we see a priest named Joshua being crowned king, that's going to picture Jesus in his roles as priest and king. Joshua, the son of Josedek definitely isn't the only picture, though. Don't forget about this guy named Melchizedek, that mysterious Old Testament guy from Genesis 14, who was the king of Salem and priest of the Most High God. Uh, Hebrews 7 talks about him in verses 1 and 2. It says, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being by interpretation king of righteousness, and after that also king of Salem, which is king of peace. 
And so you can start to make the connections to Jesus. Jesus is the king of righteousness. He's also the rightful king of Jerusalem or, or Salem. And he's the king of peace. All the titles that are given to Melchizedek can also be applied to Jesus in a, in a doctrinal context and in a prophetic context. But Melchizedek was also a priest. And we know his priesthood pictures the priesthood of Jesus. If we look in Hebrews 5, uh, verses 8 through 10, it says, Though he were a son, capital S, it's talking about Jesus, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all that obey him, called of God and high priest after the order of Melchizedek. So Jesus is called a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. So Melchizedek is clearly a picture of Jesus for us. But like these two dudes, Jesus is a king, like we talked about last week, but also like these two dudes, Jesus is a priest. And specifically, Jesus is our high priest. Hebrews 4 calls him our great high priest. It says in verse 14, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And so like the priests of the Old Testament, as our priest, Jesus is the one mediator between God and man. 1 Timothy 2.5 tells us, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Jesus Christ. So Jesus is filling that role for us. And that's why as New Testament Christians, we don't need priests to make sacrifices for us or pray to God on our behalf. We have direct access to God through his word and through prayer, and it's our own responsibility to present ourselves to God as living sacrifices. So we get this nice relationship with God that people in the Old Testament didn't have. So we don't need a special class of religious guys to help us have a right relationship with God because Jesus is the one who does that for us. He's our advocate to the Father. That's what 1 John 2 calls him. Uh, 1 John 2 verse 1 says, My little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And that's the reason why we can enjoy direct access to Jesus Christ is because he made himself that propitiation or, or payment for our sins. And all we have to do is accept that, like the book of Romans tells us. We believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead and confess with our mouth that he's our Lord, and he pays for our sins for us. And when he pays for our sins, the sacrifice he made for us gets applied to us so that we can have a relationship with God when we were incapable of doing that before. Like Hebrews 10, 12 says, But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. His sacrifice is enough to pay for our sins forever. All we have to do is accept that gift and accept his role as, as, as our priest with God and as our mediator with God. And as a result, we have permanent access to God through Jesus Christ. And the coolest thing about Jesus is that he's the only one qualified to be that mediator, to be that guy that goes between God and man. And the reason he's so uniquely qualified is because Jesus is both God and man. He's God. He's holy and righteous. So having access to God the Father is, is no big deal for him. But he also chose to become a man. So having access to us is no problem for him either. 
Hebrews 7 tells us that he became us. In Hebrews 7, uh, verse 25, it says, Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make, it, make intercession for them. For such an high priest became us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens, who needeth not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once when he offered up himself. So Jesus is much better than, than those Old Testament priests were because those priests were sinful men just like the people that they were serving. And they had to make sacrifices and prayers for not only those other people, but also for themselves first. They had to, before they could go before the Lord on behalf of other people, they had to get themselves right before the Lord. Jesus doesn't have to do that because he is the Lord. Jesus has a constant, immediate, direct access to God the Father, and he gives us constant, immediate, and direct access to himself. So by extension, we have that same access, that constant, immediate, and direct access to God the Father. That's the relationship with God that Jesus makes possible for us. And that's why the priesthood of Jesus is so much better than anything mankind could accomplish on their own, despite our best efforts and best intentions. By sending Jesus to become a man and give his life as a sacrifice for our sins, which is what we celebrate at Christmas, Jesus becomes the bridge that restores mankind's ability to have a working relationship with the Lord. Because before Jesus made that sacrifice, yeah, they could deal with their sin with animal sacrifices, but it was a constant thing that they'd have to worry about, and it, and it was never permanent. Well, now it is, because Jesus' sacrifice for us has the ability to clear our sins forever if we just allow it to. Uh, so that's something that hasn't been possible since Adam fell into sin in the Garden of Eden. But praise the Lord, Jesus' role as our high priest makes that possible. And it's incredibly important. But understanding Jesus' role as our high priest also means we have to understand our role as his priests. And that's point number three, the king's priesthood. And the king's priesthood is us. We are his priests. And I know that sounds weird, but but it's what the Bible says, so we'll look at what that means. Um, he says that in 1 Peter uh, 2, verses 4 through 10. It says, To whom coming, as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious, ye also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices accepted to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Sion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you, therefore, which believe, he is precious. But unto them which are disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble with the world, at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed." But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which have not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. So that's describing us. So in Jesus' priesthood, we are his priests and he is our high priest. Okay, so what does that mean? Uh, what, what exactly is that getting at? Should I be wearing a robe and sacrificing animals? Obviously not. Our priesthood is one of spiritual sacrifices. But look at the general job of Old Testament priests. Ignore for a moment all the specifics on sacrifices, prayers for the people, the ministration of the tabernacle. 
Just forget about that for a second. What's the role of the priesthood? Well, it was their job to intercede between God and men. And clearly, that's now Jesus' job. That's his role as, as the high priest. But he, he uses us to accomplish that in the lives of lost people. In numerous ways, we're tasked with mediating between God and the lost people around us who don't have a relationship with him. The Bible gives us several responsibilities toward lost people, and we'll look at a few tonight. For example, letter A, we are to pray for them. You remember back in our study in 1 Timothy uh, over the summer, 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 4, says, I exhort therefore that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and come unto the knowledge of the truth. God wants everyone to be saved, and so he tasks us with praying for them. We're given the responsibility to make intercessions for all men. So we're to be praying for other people. And in that way, we bring lost people before the Lord in prayer, begging God to break their hearts and change their minds toward him so that they can respond to the gospel and get saved. We intercede on their behalf before the Lord, just like Jesus intercedes on our behalf before God the Father. And that's not just for lost people. We're also told to pray for each other. James 5, 16 says, Confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And it's, it's not that any of us need someone else to go to the Lord for us, but we can help each other by going before the Lord on each other's behalf and praying for one another. That's why we're, we're asked to pray for one another. That's why we ask each other, hey man, can you pray for me for this? Like, I'm really struggling here. Like, we, we help each other in that way. So prayer is a big way that we act as a go-between uh, for God and men, but it, it's not the only way. We're also told to let our light shine before men so we can know who God is. That's letter B. We're to let our light shine to them. Uh, Matthew 5, 16, Jesus tells us, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. So we're tasked with demonstrating our relationship with God in our lives, so that other people can see it. And it's important that they see it so God can be glorified for what he's done in us. And that's something that each of us has to do because each of us has that light in us if you've given your life to Christ. 1 John 1, 5 through 7 says, This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ his Son cleanseth us from all sin. And so you're putting on display the fact that Jesus Christ changed your life. It's only possible for us to walk in the light because he's pulled us out of the darkness. So when people see us walking in the light, when they see us living the way the Bible tells us to, they're going to notice we're different. They're going to notice our relationships with people are different. And when they notice we're different, they're confronted with the truth of who God is and the kind of change he's capable of making in people's lives. And in that way, we intercede in their lives on God's behalf as his representatives, demonstrating his changing power through the way we live. So through prayer, we take lost people before the Lord, and through letting our light shine, we take the Lord before lost people so they can see who he is through us. Another way we take the Lord before lost people is by sharing the gospel with them. And that's letter C. We are to share the gospel with them. Um, 
And this is really clear. Uh, this one's pretty straightforward. Romans 10, 14 and 15 says, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. And the point is, lost people are never going to hear the gospel unless one of Christ's representatives, one of his ambassadors, one of his priests, preach the word of God to them. The good news of the gospel is the only thing that can save a person. And Jesus tasks us as his priesthood to take his word and put it before lost people. We obviously can't make the decision for those people to get saved and accept his gift of eternal life, but we can do our part by sharing the information with them that they need to know. And God chose to use us to do that. Without us interceding in their lives on God's behalf, they won't have the truth of the gospel. And if they don't have the truth of the gospel, they can't get saved because they don't, they don't know what they have to do. They don't understand the sacrifice Jesus made for them. So in some very real ways, we are Christ's priests. We're tasked with mediating between lost people and the Lord until they're saved. Because once they're saved, they have a relationship with God and they're able to, to do that for themselves on their own. But our ability to be his priests only comes from his ability to be our priest. And without his sacrifice for us and for our sins, we'd be nothing. And without his constant intercession for us before the Father on our behalf, we'd be nothing. And so as we approach this Christmas holiday, man, I find it helpful to remind ourselves of who Jesus is, the roles that he plays in our lives, the things that he's done for us, and the things that he continues to do for us every single day. That's why it's a good time at Christmas to, to step back and, and do a series like this where we really examine who Jesus is and, and what he does for us. Um, but we can't forget what we can't forget to do when we're examining who Jesus is and what he does. We can't forget about examining and understanding who we are in light of who he is. And we can't forget to consider the things we are to do in light of what he does for us. And so Jesus' role as a priest in our life is a big deal. Without his initial sacrifice on the cross, we'd still be separated from God, living alone in our sin. And without his constant intervention and intercession for us before the Lord on our behalf, our relationship with him would, would have no hope of being functional as it is. But despite how big of a deal that role of Jesus is for us, and we can't forget that our role as his priest to the lost world is also a big deal. Because there's a world full of people out there who are dying and going to hell separated from God because, because they don't know the truth of the gospel. They don't know of the sacrifice that he made for them. And unless we're on our knees praying for God to change their hearts and minds, unless we're letting his light shine in the way we live our lives, and unless we're actively sharing the gospel with those people, they can't know the Lord and enjoy the same relationship with him that we have. So man, shame on us. If we have this amazing gift of the Lord, uh, gift from Jesus, allowing us to have a relationship with the Lord, and all we have to do is tell people about it, man, shame on us if, 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 if our lack of action is what's resulting in people going to hell. We have to take this role seriously because you better believe that Jesus takes his role seriously for us. So we have to take our role seriously for them. We have to be doing everything we can to point people to Jesus and beg God to work on their hearts like only he can. We're nothing without Jesus. But without us, the lost people of this world have no hope. So man, let's be diligent to make sure that they can have hope in Jesus when we share the gospel with them. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much. Um, man, just for who you are and, 
and for what you've done for us. Um, it, it's at, at this time of year, Lord. It's just it's it's easy for us to step back and just be thankful for for the fact that that you sent your only begotten Son to to come to Earth and live as a human and and die for our sins and and have victory over death and hell and and offer us the free gift of eternal life if if we if we just accept it. Um, Lord, we're thankful for that. But Lord, often we forget the responsibility that comes along with that gift. And Lord, I pray that wouldn't be true of us. I pray we'd understand the responsibility we have uh, to the people of this world and that we have to share the, the same news that changed our life, Lord. We have to share that same news with them. And we have to s- take your word and, and get it into their lives so that, so that they can respond to it. And Lord, I pray that we just we'd take that role seriously. Um, especially around the holidays here, as we're we're all spending time with family, we're all spending time with friends, uh, some of whom may know you, others who don't. Lord, I just pray that we'd be praying and looking for opportunities to to just let your light shine in our lives and to to share the gospel with the people who need to hear it. Lord, I love you and just ask that you'd continue to be with us through this holiday season. In your name we pray. Amen.